think one of the things that was really interesting Stephen about your background was you know there are a lot of people that work in negotiation are experts in negotiation and then there are a lot of people who work in somatics and are experts in somatics but uh there are very few people that actually work in the overlap of these two fields um most of the people in negotiation that i've encountered don't actually know a lot about the somatic world and and people who are really good at somatics don't really get this whole negotiation thing um so we love to understand like how how did you get here what was your journey like yeah um it's a great question so it it started in conflict resolution you know i was the middle cushion sitting in between my parents looking up at them going like there's got to be a better way to do things and uh i was that was what i started with and it wasn't until i had gotten my um undergraduate degree in peace and conflict studies i had been to northern ireland and studied the conflict there that i met a man named paul linden dr paul linden and he was talking about the physical dimensions of conflict and i'm like what are you talking about you know none of my studies nobody had ever talked about any of this and he's like what do you do in your body when you get upset like when you encounter conflict what happens to you physiologically and that was a big eye opener for me because it was a whole part of the field of conflict resolution that nobody talked about and it made sense to me in a very simple and direct way it was it was more of that thing of cuz people people see this immediately they may not label it but you feel it it's if you're ever talking to somebody and you can tell they're not interested they don't say anything but the way they change their demeanor you can just sense it and you're just like this person doesn't care this person isn't with me and we're you know for me it sets me off <laughs> i get angry but there's other times where people will get disconnected they'll shut down whatever and we inherently feel it we just don't label it so once i started having those light bulbs go off i started realizing you know it's all one interconnected system you know and it's all it's you know it's all part of our existence it's just we're not um acknowledging it and so for me it became this natural progression of following the two along and realizing that to build one you needed the other and and vice versa and so it's just been a natural part of my growth and development uh, yeah and you do mention Paul Linden as a big influence uh uh for you and you're like how is um how describe your first meeting with him was yeah. it, the first time you expressed his ideas was it like were you confused by them how, how did that yeah. relationship to- uh, grow total total shock total confusion um you know i had always loved martial arts as a kid um i had an unusual situation where i had two very bad um uh accidents where i broke both my arms and they had metal plates in them and so a lot of you know uh martial arts either on the traditional side or on the on, on the combative sports side you're using your forearms to block mm-hmm. you know like in boxing you put your hands up and you cover your head or taekwondo or whatever you know you're using your forearms as like shock absorbers and so when i started training with w- w- so when i met paul he was talking about things i'd never heard about before he was saying them in a very practical and and um simple way that was very profound and he was saying it in a way that was incredibly valuable and all of those things it was like wow this makes sense i can follow it i can understand it and i'd always loved martial arts but i'd had these injuries where i couldn't really do the other mar- martial arts that i would have 
normally pursued because I had these metal plates in my arms. And anytime I was blocking or, or, or uh, trying to use my forearms, it hurt. So Paul ended up, in addition to having a PhD from Ohio State University, he also had, um, a, I don't know what he was, like a fourth degree black belt in the Japanese martial art of Aikido or something like that. I think he's sixth degree now. I hope I get that right. Uh, and, you know, Aikido is a very different paradigm because it's about blending. It's about power with, it's about sort of dissipating force. So the movements weren't about me like hitting things as hard as I could with my arms and, and trying to, trying to stop from being hit. It was about moving off the line and getting out of the way. And in doing that, um, not adding, not escalating to the force often, but trying to redirect it. And that fit very nicely with the field of conflict resolution. So there's, it's not a one-to-one -one equation. You know, I actually, I have a master's in conflict analysis and resolution from George Mason. I think it's now called the uh, Jimmy and Rosalind School for Peace and Conflict Resolution. It's gone to a couple different names over time. I'm also an adjunct professor there for their School for Conflict Analysis and Resolution. And I did an independent study focused on the connections between Aikido and conflict resolution, because again, it was kind of like this same thing of Aikido's philosophy is about sort of creating harmony. Um, there's this conflict resolution undertones to a lot of it, but I wanted to see if that would hold up in an academic environment. So I really looked at it and it's not a one-to-one, -one, but in many circumstances, there, there's a lot of just simple physics that makes sense. It's like, if you can control yourself, if you can be in control of yourself, you're less likely to escalate things that don't need to be escalated. So the ones I always think about is you go and you drop your fork um, at the table. You could get upset. You could get mad. You could you go, you could sort of, you know, shout or scream or whatever, or you could just take a breath, maybe roll your eyes, go and pick it up and take it back. Right. So a lot of how, whether or not conflict gets escalated, whether or not negotiations go bad is often about how we respond and how we handle it. Right. So say, you know, I said, you're um, working with somebody who's in the midst of trying to hire somebody. And it's like, how, how do they show up in the negotiations? Are they going to show up as somebody who's involved and engaged and willing to have a conversation that isn't um, threatening to them? Or is it something where they're taking everything personally? Because I'll see it a lot with salary negotiations where people are like, oh, so that's what you think I'm worth? <laughs> that, that, that. Where it's like, well, if you could regulate yourself and say, well, that's maybe what they have, you know, and then go, well, is that really where I want to be? If that's really, if that's the length and breadth of the resources that I have, is that really I want to be? And that mindset is allowing for a very different conversation, a very different negotiation. It may allow you to negotiate and ask for things that you didn't consider. And, or it may help you decide right then and there, you know what, like, I don't want to burn bridges, but I'm not actually interested in having this position based upon what's being offered to me. And, you know, that feels very different. I would love to dig into the, regulating yourself uh, because I think that's so important. I do want to uh, maybe go back to something you said, which is when you were younger, uh, sounds like maybe you were a teenager and you had uh, uh, your arms weren't, were harmed by this accident. Right. And you had yeah. to, and you were trying to, trying to learn martial arts. Yeah. Um, 
how did these constraints um, influence how you learn things and then later how you coach or teach people? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Basically, what happened was I, I broke my arms twice and each time it was severe enough that they put metal plates in to um, allow the healing to occur quickly. Because if they didn't, it would have taken a long time because of how bad it was. But what happened was that you'd have the surgical plate, surgical steel, and then your epidermis with all your nerves and then um, your skin and then whatever the hard object was on the other side. So, so basically what happened was that I would rather like get punched than, you know, make a, a, a nerve sandwich. Um, so what it meant was that I had to, I, I just had to find something that suited what was my injury and find a way to engage in that sense. And so, you know, Aikido worked out to be, you know, nice for me in that sense, because it wasn't, it, you know, if I was going to do something like Muay Thai, I would have a really bad day right? You know, Thai boxing is, is, is a lot of impact, you know, and they, they go and they harden their bones. You know, you'll see these guys who are, you know, they're kicking the pads over and over again with their shins. And then, you know, some of the, like the real hardcore guys, you can watch them kick down banana trees, you know, their, their shins are that hard and that wasn't going to be me. And that wasn't my disposition. That wasn't who I am, you know, even now as somebody who, you know, is a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know, BJJ is, you know, you're not doing a lot of blocking, you know, even when you're grappling, you're, you're, you're moving in ways where you're trying to be very efficient. You're trying to maximize leverage. You're trying to maximize position. Um, all those things that, uh, you know, just suited me better. So, you know, it's just something that I've always had in the back of my head around how I interact because there was always a cost for having a very high impact, you know, it, it would hurt me more than it would hurt them. So I just had to adapt and um, adjust from that sense. And it just, it just made for a very different dynamic. And do you feel like those insights carried over to your negotiation and conflict resolution practice? Um, sort of, you know, I, part of the hardest thing I think for negotiation is, is taking perspective you know, where is this other person coming from and what are they, what are they trying to accomplish? But also, you know, there's multiple different types of negotiation. There's negotiation that's just straight numbers. And then there's negotiation around relationship. You know, there's a lot of attorneys who spend a lot of time playing around with numbers and, you know, numbers are fine. I, I it doesn't, that one doesn't, I find as rich as what's going on with people and relationships. But a lot of it is, is, you know, for example, like what for me, I'm trying to think about well, what would make this podcast fantastic? What are the things that are you most interested in? What are the people who are listening to this are most interested in? If I can understand that incredibly well, I can negotiate in a very effective way because I'm going to understand what are the things that you're absolutely afraid of happening that you're going to be highly motivated to have not happen? And then what are the things that you, you could be much more open to if you got something as well? You know, it, it, it's, it's like, oh yeah, I'd be interested in doing that if I knew I got that other thing. And, and so having that sense of things not operating exactly as I anticipated them to be um, is very helpful. So it's kind of like, um, 
if you had a math teacher who was naturally talented at math, they're often not good at being a math teacher because they can't relate to people who don't easily and automatically understand what it is. If you had struggles or if you had challenges in, 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 in so math didn't come to you um, naturally, then you can often be a better teacher because you're, you're better suited for the people who are struggling. So same with negotiation. If you have situations that you, you're like, oh, well, this didn't turn out the way I thought it would. Oh, well, what, what was it that was different? Like what was going on? Those insights can be very, very helpful in how you approach negotiation and how, how you um, handle things, how you, how, what you start with, what you offer. And so, you know, that was one of the things that I've, I feel is, is just, it was, it's burned into you as a conflict resolution practitioner. You know, you're getting constantly over and over again, you're trying to understand the perspective of others. And then just going into negotiation, if you really want to be good at it, it's being able to say, well, what do these people really want? Um, what are the things that they're going to be incredibly firm on? And what are the things that they'll be flexible on that you could possibly find even more opportunities for mutual benefit? When you're consulting clients, are there any strategies you use or examples you can share of like, how do you help someone understand someone else's perspective to get that information? Yeah, you know, a lot of it is, is just trying to, to map out, you know, it's, it's kind of like, know yourself and then know, know, know thy, know thy other, you know, it's know thy enemy, but it's, you know, it's, it, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to come in with that kind of mindset that they're, they're, they're your, your enemy. Um, it's, it's firstly just having people be very clear for themselves about what they want. And in many, many circumstances, they don't know that. And they, they don't, you know, the, the three questions, and when I'm helping people get ready for negotiation, the three questions that I have them ask all the time are, what do you want? What can you live with? And what's going to cause you to walk away? If you can answer those three questions, you can pretty much know how you want to show up, right? Um, and if you can answer the three questions for the other side, that's even better. You know, th those are usually harder Again, it just depends on the relationship that you're having. So say it's like, if you're having a negotiation with your mom, you're probably going to be better suited to answer some of those questions because you've had a longer, you had multiple interactions, you have more data, you, you have a better predictive sense of what that would be. Um, in other circumstances, you may not because you haven't hung out with them for a while, but then you just have to go back to context. If you're negotiating for a job, well, what do they want? They want a good employee. <laughs> you know, what, what can they live with? You don't know that, you know, you have to find out what other ranges are or what are the ranges um, that you've seen for similarly situated positions, you know, what would cause them to walk away. You know, those are all other things that are, are kind of harder to determine, but you're then looking for context clues to help decide what that is. And those things can be very, very helpful as well, because um, just having them pretend to be the other person and just say, well, if you're sitting in their shoes, what do you think they're trying to accomplish? Uh, you know, and then also asking them and just being like, well, what's more important to you? You know, or, hey, would you be open to this? And then sort of seeing how it goes. Those are often, you know, several different things can be very helpful. Yeah. I also find it interesting. You said what's more important to you as opposed to what's important to you, because I think that subtle change really gives you more information. 
Well, it's, it's also, everybody's making calculations all the time about what they're doing. How long do I want to stay with this? How much effort am I going to put in? Um, and they may do it consciously. They may do it subconsciously. It's like, well, how long am I going to wait for this parking space? Or how long am I going to wait in line, right? You know, you're doing those calculations in addition to, to bigger ones. And many, many times there's other options. It's just whether or not you want them. And I feel a lot of my a lot of my work is, is, is this idea of like, you know, they say expanding the pie. So if you had a pie and it's six slices and that's all there is, well, it's like, could you do something different to then create the possibility of seven slices or eight slices? Um, so, uh, you know, on like, uh, the example with negotiating for a new position, one of the classic ones is we can't give you more salary, but we'll give you vacation time or, you know, we'll give you a corner office or we'll give you your own parking space or we'll give you something else. Right. Uh, you know, pre COVID it was, you know, uh, telework, right. So you find different things that you can go in and, and talk to them about and just say, Hey, you know, um, this is something that I'd be interested in talking to you about telework. You know, where are you at with that? Like, you know, wh wh where do you think, and, you know, what would be most important for you? You know, what days would I need to be in those type of things? And that that way you're one of the big differences in how I teach negotiation is the idea of mutual benefit. So you're negotiating so that you get something and they get something versus um, some of the other ones that are more of like, I get everything I want and you get nothing. You know, I, I just don't I don't believe that negotiation style is helpful for people that you're going to have any interactions with ongoing, if you see them only once, um, sure. I guess you could be that cutthroat, but I, I just don't see that happening over long-term. So finding things that make you and the other person happy um, are always what I point to because it is usually the highest level of success. They'll agree to negotiation. They'll agree to your terms. They'll agree to the proposal. One of the things I'm thinking of um, if I'm putting my shoes uh, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone who is having a conversation like this is it's a lot of stress. It feels like a lot of conflict. You have a very interesting perspective on conflict, uh, uh, which is, uh, I, I read this uh, quote, conflict opens up who we are and gets to the heart of pain and fear. It is an opportunity for growth. Uh, say more about that. Yeah. So, you know, my background isn't just only in conflict. It's also in leadership coaching. And that's been the area that I've enjoyed the, um, the most, uh, you know, I, I attended uh, Georgetown University's um, leadership coaching program. Um, I'm ICF certified now. And the combination of somatics, which is all this stuff happening, what do you do in your body? Uh, conflict resolution, and now leadership coaching has created this very potent cocktail um, a potent set of ingredients because the coaching side allows me to slow down with my client and pull out, well, what's the fear? And in many circumstances, that fear is an unaddressed um, pattern or a trauma that they're not aware of that is driving their behavior. And that it can be an incredibly powerful um, force multiplier. So my philosophy when working with folks is to try to go to the source, not a symptom. So I'll give an example that I use uh, in many circumstances. 
I had a client, a leader came to me and said, you know, I'm overbooked. I've got my schedule is full. I've got all this stuff going on. And I really want to get some coaching on some apps I could use or some hacks around, you know, making my schedule more efficient. So when I talked to them a bit more, I was like, well, what's going on with your calendar? Like what, what's, what do you have on your calendar and, and, and what's causing you to add these things? Uh, and as we talked, it became clear that they were saying yes to everything because they were afraid they would be excluded or they were afraid that they wouldn't be welcomed or they were afraid that they had to say yes because if they didn't say yes, what would people think of them? So there is this underlying pattern of pleasing, of um, uh, maybe a lack of self-esteem, so on and so forth, that then caused them to say, uh, to say yes, to take actions, to do things that they really weren't serving them, weren't helping them. And so the conflict is often like a diagnostic. So, you know, I was interviewed by somebody else and, and, and they asked me a similar question. And, and the, the part that I like to add is, is that when somebody's angry, one of the things that, um, you know, I, part of my, you know, I trained with Paul Linden and have, have been his student in embodied peacemaking for almost 20 years, give or take, um, less than that. And I've also joined a men's group and been part of men's work. And the, 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 that doing that has taught me a lot about emotions and a lot about anger. And when somebody's angry, almost always there's another emotion that's behind it. And if you can identify what that emotion is, that is incredibly powerful to pay attention to. If it's fear, if it's shame, if it's sadness, whatever it is, that is the underlying thing that is causing all these other behaviors to happen. If you can understand that, then you're really dealing with the source and you're not dealing with the symptom. You're not trying to get an app. You're not trying to go and find a new hack or, you know, get the, the latest, uh, um, uh, uh, Harvard business review article or, you know, Ted talk you're actually digging into, well, what is happening inside you that's causing you to, to take that action? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And okay. in, in the case of this uh, client you mentioned who came to you, um, I, I really like the fact that you sort of went under, um, looked beneath the surface of what, what was actually like happening. Uh, I'm curious, so when you identified there was something going on with self-esteem, um, my understanding of somatics is that those trapped emotions live in your body. Um, how do you, maybe you can, if you're comfortable, share, speak to this client or speak generally, uh, how, how did you uh, get the process of identifying it and then releasing them from the body? Yeah, so... Uh, some of the simple questions I ask over and over again are, you know, um, what are you doing in your body? What's going on in your body? What did you feel in your body? Uh, when you talk about X, right? So for example, uh, I'm, I'm stressed out. I, I gotta go and I gotta, I, I, I want to have coaching on, um, uh, you know, managing my schedule better, getting an app, getting a hack, da, 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 da. however that, however that's said. So as we talk about it, eventually one of my questions is, is, well, what do you feel in your body when you say that, right? And then the next question I ask is, is what emotion do you connect to? 
And usually those two questions will take the client exactly to what's going on, right? You know, I, I feel that I have to say yes, because if I don't say yes, I won't be invited back again. Or I want to prove to them that I'm valuable. Or um, uh, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid to say no, whatever it is. So those, those questions come up straight away. And, you know, coaching isn't therapy. Um, I feel that we're in the middle of a very different dynamic where trauma is now a huge part of what you need to have um, some level of understanding and at least uh, awareness and, and hopefully competency in, in dealing with. So on my end, from a coaching perspective, I'm just wanting them to pay attention to what's going on. So for example, um, it's the idea that you're aware of the trauma versus you're unaware of the trauma, right? So I didn't know that I was saying yes to everything because I felt like I had to versus, oh, I'm being asked right now if um, I want to do this. Do I really want to? <laughs> or do I just feel like I have to say yes because that's, you know, that's where I'm coming from, right? Because I have to be careful in letting the client use the tools that are appropriate to them. So, you know, it may be something where it's better for them to go and deal with their therapist with, um, on my side, um, I'm not going to hide from it. You know, if there's something that they're experiencing, you know, traditionally the idea is, is just to allow, allow folks to fully experience whatever it is they're experiencing. So if they're scared, just fully feel scared. And then usually that kind of cycles out of your system. It cycles out of your body. So just allowing people to fully experience whatever it is, if it's sadness, if it's guilt, if it's shame, just fully, uh, you know, letting it out and having somebody just be there to witness it, that can be very, very trans transformational. Um, in most circumstances, just naming and owning like, oh, you know, I, one of my other favorite questions is, is like, what are you afraid to say right now? Or what are you afraid to own? Right? Like, I'm afraid that uh, no one will want to promote me. So I have to go and say yes to everything, you know, and then once that happens, then boom, then you're really taking a look at something from a very different perspective versus, oh, well, yeah, you know, here's how you can go and go attend more meetings during the day that don't really serve you or the people you're managing or anything else. Got it. Uh, this is so interesting. And uh, what came up for me was, you know, in in terms of regulating yourself, there's obviously a timeout moment when someone's talking to you and processing. Um, what are some strategies to regulate yourself in the moment? Um, you've talked about how humans have a fight, flight, freeze response. Mm -hmm. um, how can we uh, uh, have awareness or, or do something with our body in the moment to get out of those patterns? Yeah, this great question. Uh, it's a lifelong journey. The, the simplest thing is take a breath, right? Um, most of the time, we, we don't know what we're doing. And what I, I don't mean that in a, in, a, in a facetious way, but it's like we're reacting versus responding. And so reacting is, is just immediately doing it without any thought. Responding is, is at least taking a moment to say, yeah, that's what I want to do. 
So when I work with folks, you know, a lot of the material I learned from Paul Linden um, is around breath, posture, and vision. What's going on with your breath? What's going on with your posture? What's going on with your vision? The simplest one is your breathing. Are you breathing? Yes or no? <laughs> you know, it's silly, but, um, you know, the stuff that I learned came from martial arts and it's also in other martial communities outside of the Japanese martial art of Aikido. If you go into the marksmanship community, if you go into anybody who does either like, um, like Olympic shooting or target shooting, or if you're, you know, somebody who's military law enforcement, they learn breathing techniques as ways of stabilizing themselves so that they move in a very precise manner. So when, when, if you ever listen to a boxer and when boxers punch, you'll hear this noise. It's like a, there's, there's a, there's a in, intentional exhalation that comes. And what that is, is, is that they're teaching their body to breathe even when they're being hit. So that even when someone's punching them, their body is learning that they're always going to keep their breath going. They're not going to stop their breath. And what will happen is, is that, um, you know, it's like if, if I was going to play your boss and I came to you and I said, hey, Asad, can you come and see me uh, uh, before the end of the day? Yeah, thanks. Bye. Like what happens in your body? Uh, I would say, well, it depends on, my, on the relationship with my, with my boss. Right. Um, but say it's uh, someone who's new, I'd be like, oh, something going on. Am I in trouble? Right. So what, so what do you, what do you feel in your body? Like if they said that and they didn't say anything else, they're just like, Hey, can you come see me before the end of the day? You know, I want to talk to you. Concern, some anxiety. Right. 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 So, so where, where does that happen in your body? For me, probably my stomach. Yeah. So what happens with your stomach? Uh, I don't think I have the best vocabulary for this, but I feel like a weird, like drop in my stomach. Good. Good. So this is a lot of what I would do when I work with somebody is, is help you get precise because you'll see this in movies. You'll see it in other places where people will take a big exhale after the conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it, a lot of it was, um, uh, you know, uh, somebody asks somebody else out on a date and then they say yes. And they're like, oh, right. Like, oh, yes, they they said yes. Or, you know, um, uh, it, it, it's like. Um, people find out if they made it through surgery, like, oh, my child made it through surgery. Ah, <gasps> oh, yes. So, but you're holding your breath and you don't even know it. So that's so, the wrong way to approach things. Well, well it, it's, it's more of just helping you know for yourself what you're doing, because it, it's, it's this idea of, am I, am I in charge or am I just um, reacting without having any conscious um, uh, control? And we do things automatically. That's just kind of how we, how, how our body works. Like we are not, we don't tell ourselves breathe, don't breathe normally, but when you're in high stress situations, paying attention to your breath is what's going to help you gain control of yourself very quickly. So are you breathing is the first question. And then how are you breathing? Cause there's sometimes where people will breathe very quickly. Um, they, they, they won't, or they, uh, they won't have full breaths in full breaths out. And there's all these, you know, it used to be when I started first talking about this, maybe people heard about yoga. Now there's like, I'm a breath teacher. You know, I'm like, they, there's all these specializations that are coming out. 
And people may be listening and be like, oh, I know how to do that or whatever. But more than anything, it, it was, are you breathing? And then what is the quality of your breathing? And is it regulated? So in the law enforcement community, military com uh, community, they have what they call four count, which is you breathe in, four count, hold, four count, exhale, four count. So in, hold, exhale, four. And you just keep doing that over and over and over again. And it brings you back in versus I'm out of control. So those simple things are very, very helpful. You know, the, when I work with folks, some of the more advanced things are about, you know, how is your, how is your posture aligned? Um, uh, what's going on with your vision? And, you know, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have literal tunnel vision. You know, they're like, you're wrong. You're the problem, everything else. And they're not taking in any other context. They're not having any other awareness because literally their vision follows their mind. And they're just like, it's like narrow minded, narrow vision, same idea. So by changing your posture and your vision, you, you process information differently. And all those things help you um, uh, respond in a more effective manner. Just to elaborate on this vision point, there's like the metaphoric vision of like, you're not taking in any extra information, but then there's also literal vision of like, I, I'm seeing you, you're in front of me. Sounds like you're suggesting that those two things are intertwined in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it, it's like, um, one of the practices that, you know, Aikido is a lot about evasion. You're basically the, the easiest way to think about it is, is like Aikido is very good at like weapons retention. So say you had like a, a sword or a gun and you're trying to hold on to it and trying to stop people from taking it. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty good at, at that kind of stuff where you have something in your hand and people are trying to, trying to take it from you. A lot of the movements and stuff, but in Aikido, it, it's like, if you were walking down the street, Aikido is trying to not only see where the person that's coming towards you, how they're moving, but what's the space behind them, where are the other people around them? And you have to have a wide open vision. So you know how to move to effectively get to that different position. And that's no different than I see it in negotiation of there's times where people may be very hard on one position, but really open on another. And you're like, you know what, if we go down this other path, we may actually get further than we thought. So it comes into your thinking and your organization, like how you physically organize yourself comes into how you process information, comes into how you show up. And when you're, say, in a contentious conversation or negotiation, um, so there's, you mentioned breath, posture, and vision. So breath is like, you, you gave the example of the four count, which right. I think is like very interesting. And then are there things people can do to adjust their, uh, uh, I guess, literal vision and met metaphoric yeah. vision, right? In, in yeah. that moment? Yeah. So it's more advanced. Um, so, you know, there's four count breathing. There's also another type of breathing called belly breathing, which is the breathing that you see little babies do. Babies have these cute little bellies that kind of inflate and deflate and, and, you know, their chest doesn't move. It's all from your belly. And that's like the kind of classic uh, breathing that, that is taught posture and vision have a lot to do with um, one of the central teachings uh, that I've learned from, from, from Paul Linden about um, embodied peacemaking is around the idea of contraction. 
And that when you're in a contracted state, so your jaw is clenched, your shoulders are hunched in, your elbows are at your ribs, your hands are in fists, your belly is tight, your, your, your back is tight, you're firing your glutes, you're firing your quads, you're making yourself kind of like a, like a, like a boxer stance. A lot of that contraction is one of the things that can lead to aggression and anger because, you know, you're, you're physiologically in this um, defensive state, but you're not, you're, you're in a, it's, it leads more to a fear-based response. So what we're trying to do from a uh, sense of like optimal performance, but also from a sense of embodying peace is to have a radiant symmetry. So think about a, uh, like a, like a lightning, uh, a lightning bug that emanates light out of its entire body. You're radiating out a posture that is uniform and symmetrical. So what that means is, is that nothing's clenched. You're not limp. You know, when, when I'm talking about relaxed, it's not like you're going to fall over, like you're, you know, slouched on the couch. You have a nice, um, uh, your, your skeleton is doing your work. And, um, your, your muscles are, are you using the skeleton to kind of, uh, hold yourself upright. And it, it's kind of like that. Um, there's a, the Vitruvian man picture, I think is the one where it's, it's sort of showing this human being and they're, they're radiating out in all directions. Their, their physiology is expansive and outward. So, you know, it's this idea of going in six directions, you're, your chest is moving forward. Your back is moving forward. Your sides are moving out, radiating out your top, top of your head is radiating out the bottom, uh, through your feet. So you're, you're this, like a bright star, like a pulse. And that's the kind of posture that you want to have. You want your awareness to be wide. So, um, from like a, like a self-defense perspective, like, uh, people talk about situational awareness. You're in a bad place. You don't know what to do. What's one of the, like, one of the, the, the most effective ways of, of keeping yourself safe, situational awareness, you know, it's, it's not learning Krav Maga or carrying a gun. It's what they say is like having your head on a swivel. It just means you're fully present to what's going on and you're paying attention to all of it and you're taking it in. You're not getting, you're not falling into threat. You're not getting flooded with fear. You're just like, oh, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. This is happening. How do I want to move? How do I want to engage? So you, you want to have a, a different alignment that um, lends itself to that. And in a situation like that, where you're walking down a shady alley, would improving your posture also make you safer? Right. So um, there's this mythical study that I have not been able to... Um, locate, which drives me crazy, but it, it, the examples are, are still worthwhile. In this study, they basically took a bunch of folks who were in prison and they showed them video of people walking down the street. And they said, who would you mug and why? And it's, it's because, you know, if you think about it, it's no different than any, any, any high school bully or any middle school bully. The kid that went and had their eyes down, was trying to disappear to make themselves as small as possible, easy target, right? The kid that had their eyes up, shoulders back, 
breathing normally, walking down the hall, not looking for a fight, not trying to like stare people down, not looking for a hug, not trying to kumbaya everybody, just going to wherever they're going. Who, who, who's the easy target? It's the, it's the kid with the hunched shoulders. Right. Because part, partly it's it, cause you know, and I see this, I, you know, I feel it's a disservice to women because a lot of women are told to kind of make themselves small and they do that because if they allow themselves to be seen, they get catcalled, right? You know, it's like, oh, hey, you know, so if you try to make yourself so nobody sees you, you don't think you're going to get catcalled. But then what happens is your awareness gets small. You, you know, you're, you, you have like a small body, small mind, small awareness. And what you really need is, and, and you don't respond as well. So from a, from a martial arts perspective, if you're this kind of like um, hunched over, contracted, um, diminished uh, shape, you're not going to move as, as easily because your body isn't set up to do that. Now, if you were standing upright, your shoulders were at your side, your, your um, uh, hips were underneath your kneels, knees and your heels, and you were breathing regularly, it's way easier to move. So a lot of it to me is very kind of common sense stuff, but it also comes into negotiations. If you've gone and told yourself that it's going to be a bad meeting and you come in and your stomach is in knots, your, your jaws clenched, you're, you, you're feeling fear, you're literally feeling fear. Um, people have a read, you know, people read that, right. You know, and, and it, you, you see it also with animals like dogs, like dogs can't talk, but dogs are experts at reading our, our body language. They can tell exactly how, how a lot of how we feel just by our body language. And so, you know, humans have that ability to read others just from body language. And so if you come into a negotiation and you're already scared, they'll sense it in one way or another. And so a lot of it is, is just not putting yourself in that deficit, you know, just regulating yourself, coming in, breathing, coming in regulated, coming in expansive, and then sitting down and having a conversation. I love to go back to that point about uh, the dilemma that women, women might be in where they uh, might be uh, physically making themselves smaller to avoid attention, but then that also having a negative effect on their awareness. Are there, uh, for the women listening and are there things that they can do to maybe have the best of both worlds or some other solution? So I, I'm going to try to answer your question. Um, one of the, you know, one of the things I love about, uh, what I learned from Paul Linden is we do a lot of experiments. So it's not taking my word. It's not like I'm a guru. It's like, you're going to try it for yourself and see what you do. And so I live in Washington, DC, and we have a public transit system, a metro system, similar to you're out in the, is it the Bay area? Is that right? Yeah. So it's like your BART system or anybody who's ever been on a New York uh, subway or uh, Chicago or whatever. So confined space. I do this exercise with them called don't stand so close to me, which intrinsically is the following. You have one person, in this case, we'll have it be a woman who just stands there and they're going to be themselves. And then you have a, their partner whose job is to stand uncomfortably close to that woman so that she can identify for herself 
what she does in her body when somebody approaches her that way. And a lot of times there is this sense of looking down, um, sort of leaving the body, uh, trying to make yourself small, uh, retracting, all of that kind of stuff. Traditionally, when a woman responds that way, uh, the person who does that, it like encourages them. So I'll, I'll give another example because, um, you know, you and I are both immigrants. My, my, I'm first generation. Uh, my dad came over. So my, my last name always got messed up and, you know, I can only imagine what happens to you. Good, sir. <laughs> but, but like, as a kid, I got teased for that and other kids knew, oh, they're getting a response out of me. So I'm going to do it more. Right. You know, so for me, um, like this company, I think has gone out of business, but my last name is K-O-T-E-V. And there was a, a women's hygiene product, tampon product called Kotex, K-O-T-E-X. So very similar, just one letter. So in middle school, they'd be like, hey, Kotex. Right. And they would do it as like a way of like insulting me, um, uh, you know, just being mean. And it worked like they got something out of me. But after a certain point, it didn't. And they could tell that when they said it, it's just like, we're not getting a response. Like it, it's just, they, they weren't encouraged to do it more. They just stopped because they're just like, I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm not seeing uh, an opening to continue doing it. And physically, you can see the same thing where in this example with the don't stand so close to me, you have the women who go and make themselves small. So then what I would have them do is, is I would have, the, you know, I'd have them open their eyes um, stand feet shoulder width apart, and then take these regulated breaths from their belly so that, you know, their throat and jaw was relaxed and they were open and expansive. They weren't doing anything else. They were just doing that. And then the other person would stand uncomfortably close to them. And that person didn't get any of the, like, I'm going to keep it up, right? Like I'm going to keep going and, 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 and taunting you or saying the names because they, because their body the aggressor's body saw that that wasn't the response that was getting. And so they just were like, okay. And then it was almost like it was kind of dumb because they're like, why are we doing this? Right? So a lot of it is, is the more comfortable you can be in your own body, you're showing that whatever the, you're, you're not giving off the aggression, right? You're just saying like, I'm here and I'm going to keep walking and I don't really want anything to do with you. I'll acknowledge you but I'm not like inviting you in. I'm not trying to harm you, but just changing their physiological, uh, um, uh, the, the way they organize themselves internally changed how they were received by others. And that in turn, um, just didn't give them any motivation to continue to do it further. What I find really interesting about that example is a lot of the communication is happening, like body language to body language. The woman isn't saying anything, uh, the 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 person who she's uh, in the scenario with isn't like necessarily saying anything, but they're both giving off signals. And when she's changing the signals she's giving by changing her posture, uh, the other person is also like picking that up. Right. Well, it, it it but it's all of it. It's posture. It's breathing. It's vision. But it's it, it's also then it becomes their emotional state because emotionally they're not inhabiting fear. They're just in this regulated space. You know, it can be, there can be a sense of warmth, you know, but it's more than anything. It's just like, oh, hi, right? Or, hey, right? 
It's not like, uh, what are you doing? You're creepy. Get away from me. Or, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's none of that. It's just like, Hey, right. And then it's like, I see you, you see me. And, um, for most people that's, you're good, right? Like there's always the sociopaths or whatever. And that's a whole other story, but for most people, like that works really well, but more than anything, even if they had a worst case scenario where they were being attacked, they're going to perform a lot better because their body is already relaxed. It's able to move. Um, they're able to go and, and, and breathe. They're not um, functioning on a diminished oxygen capacity, you know, because they weren't taking full breaths because they were making themselves small, yada, yada, yada. They just function. They function better, right? Mm -hmm. So a, a lot of uh, what I think about in negotiation is um, for anyone who is a fan of like European football, you know, it's the own goal. How you not, how do you not score a goal on yourself? Like, how do you start off, you know, doing the best that you can? Because, you, you know, you'll see people who they, they kind of like they do really well and then they fall off. And for me, it's kind of like, well, how can you do the best with what you have? Um, or how can you um, the other example I talk about is, is like if you're punching and say you punch somebody and you're only using your shoulder muscles and your um, biceps and your triceps and you're just using like a localized area versus punching with your whole body or pushing you push with just a, like four muscles versus pushing with all the muscles in your body. It's very different. So if you show up with all of your agency, all your resource, you're going to negotiate, you're going to be a very different person than if you don't. I want to switch tracks a little bit and ask you what influenced you to go deeper into men's work and joining a men's group. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I was having a hard time. I wasn't where I wanted to be in my life. Um, I was scared. I was sad. I was afraid. I was lost, um, struggling. And, um, I really didn't know what else to do. And I remember, um, so the, the organization I'm a part of is called Everyman and it's E-V-R-Y-M-A-N. They, something about when they went to buy the website, that was the one they could afford. <laughs> like we, it didn't, it wasn't E-V-E-R-Y, it's E-V-E-R-Y. And um, I remember listening to some podcasts where they talked about what they did. And when I listened to it, I was like, these guys have tools. Like, I want that. I want those tools. And it changed my life. You know, one of the things that I realized, especially about, you know, being a, a man in, a, in, you know, like an American man and a white man, um, we're not men's emotional range consists of like two emotions, angry and humor. Maybe you can be sad like once or twice if your like parent dies, but you're, you're not really allowed any other emotional range right? You're not allowed to have any other emotional expressions. You're not allowed to, 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 to demonstrate that, to experience it, to, to express it, you know? And so the men's work was really transformational for me because the approach that we use is very much similar to what I talked about before. It, uh, it, there's no stories and um, there's no advice. It's what do you feel in your body and what emotion are you connected to? So the conversations are very, very different. It's not, you know, people telling other people what to do. It's each person helping them more fully experience whatever it is. 
And in that there's huge insights into what's going on. And so um, I've found it to be just a really, really powerful tool to help with my own growth and development. Um, but more than anything, just with my sanity, just made my day better, you know, cause I had, I had a, a, a wider capacity to do things that I, I didn't have before. And, um, I'm incredibly thankful for it. And for those people listening who maybe they've heard about men's groups, but they're kind of wondering what, what happens in a men's group? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Could you, could you, uh, to whatever extent you're comfortable, unveil the curtain for us a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for for people, it's it's hard because the 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 meetings are are confidential. There is a a documentary that you can get on Amazon Prime, and I think you can get on YouTube called The Work, just T H E W R K, The Work, and it goes, um, there's a prison system that uses kind of like a sibling approach to what we, we use that you can see them in the middle of it. And it's, it's, ours is different, but the, it's intense, you know, basically you're allowing people to have experiences that they haven't had. Um, a lot of it is dealing with old stuff that nobody is like that they've just sort of pushed away and, and not surfaced and just having a chance to feel that and express it. Um, a lot of it is about being vulnerable and, and understanding that vulnerability is actually um, incredibly powerful. So um, way I think about it is making yourself vulnerable is one of the fastest ways to stop having things be awkward, <laughs> right? Because you're, you're hanging out with somebody and it's like, this is awkward, right? And if you just name whatever it is that's going on, usually they just laugh and let it go because you're naming whatever is the awkward thing. And then they're like, oh, that's what the awkward thing is that happened, right? So it's like, yeah, I just farted. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was wondering what that terrible smell was, right? You know, that's, that's, that's a very silly kind of flippant thing. But, it, it, you know, I've had situations where it wasn't awkward. It was actually conflict. And I had somebody that I was, I was working with. And I just said to them, I got scared. I didn't know what to do. And I just started talking. And I just named exactly where I was at. And they're like, oh, okay. Right. And then you have a very different conversation from that point. So it's really informed how I look at conflict and how I look at coaching in a very different way, because so much of what we're encouraged to do is, is, is own a sense of vulnerability. So, you know, one of the big insights I had was going back to that example before of um, being the, uh, the middle cushion between my parents. I realized that part of what got me into the field of conflict resolution was also unaddressed trauma from my childhood because my dad's uh, abusive and I would go and like want to rush to my mom to soothe my mom or soothe somebody else so that then I could be soothed. So then I could feel safe. It's like, oh, if I got my mom to feel safe, then like I would feel safe. So it helps you isolate out like what is something that you haven't addressed and um, helps you helps you handle it differently. 
and that's um, an incredibly powerful thing that happens um, that I, th I think like people are, are like starting to get it more, especially when you look at like suicide rates. You know, if you look at a, if you look at men, men die younger. Um, they often die of suicide at higher rates. Uh, there's this idea of kind of like the man that dies alone. You know, there's nobody really there for them. They don't have anybody who they can, um, who they really feel like uh, is connected to them that really like they can open up to. And, um, you know, if I were to pull the curtain back, I would just be like, it's no different than any other human being, but just men aren't, men aren't given the permission or aren't being expected to have that range of emotions. They're expected to kind of be like, you know, sex, violence, <laughs> whatever the stereotypes are. Yeah. And I think what you shared about your parents, um, I feel like uh, that was, I would say that was very courageous to share like in, in a public forum. And I, and I guess like, uh, listening might be like, oh, like how, how did he like get to that point where he could share it or like, um, and I think part of the answer I, I suspect is like the men's group helps create that safe yeah. container uh, with camaraderie. Uh, and I would love if, if that's the case, like if you could yeah. share a little bit more about yeah, that. Yeah, you know, it's very hard to describe what we do, but one of the examples that they said is it's like CrossFit for your emotions. And I'm not... Like, I think CrossFit is kind of overdone, you know, where people go and they lift heavy weights till they tear their rotator cuff out. And, but it, it is, it's no different than push-ups. It's just working on it over and over again, you know, making yourself, but it, it's, it's small incremental things. It's, it's making a small admission. It's, it's feeling something in a small amount, 5%, 2%, but just doing it over and over again. So you know, I'm at a point now where I'm totally fine talking about it because it's true, right? Like it's a true thing that happened. Like it's true that I would have gone and rushed to try to save somebody. And then it's also true of like, that wasn't healthy. That wasn't something that was, you know, really the, the, the best thing to do. And it's something that I'm, I'm working to have be different. And so it, it's, um, it's more about just regular practice. You know, you want to, you, you want to get with a, like a good, a good group. You know, I went through a eight month long, almost nine month long intensive training through every man called their foundations program, which like basically tore you down and <laughs> built you back up. You know, you, it was, it was one of the hardest things I ever did. And, and I loved it because I, I grew so much and I have so much capacity where, you know, I feel, I feel more aware of a lot of the stuff that's running in the background and more aware of, of how to handle it. And, you know, one of the things that happens in the group is, is that every week you pick a stretch and the stretch is a coaching, coaching language of a, a, an, a specific action um, or task that's timely and measurable that you can, you can do. So, um, so for example, one of the ones that I did was, cause I've got two kids, I have a 10 year old and I have a six year old and I noticed that I got really angry, um, in the mornings and the afternoons and trying to get them out to school and trying to get them home and ready to go. And 
any parents out there, it's like when your kid can't find their shoes, it's infuriating. Like I was, I was so infuriated. People who don't have kids. It, I, I'm sorry. It doesn't land. But if you have kids, every parent I know, like rolls their eyes. They're like, oh yeah. So I, I made a stretch for myself. So during those times, I would just pay attention to how I showed up and I would pay attention to if I got angry, if I got overwhelmed, what I was doing. And I did it as a way of, of, of like building skill where I'm just like, oh, I'm paying attention right now to see where I'm at, to make sure I'm making that choice. Um, you know, there's been others that uh, have a variety of different things to do. Sometimes it's about wellness. You know, it's like, hey, I'm going to do this level of exercise or I'm going to tell my wife how I really feel. Um, I'm going to connect with somebody. You know, it's a variety of different things. They're, they're, they're across the board. It can be, um, I'm going to file my taxes <laughs> or I'm going to, or, you know, but I, I'm serious. Like there's times where it's like, I don't want to acknowledge my financial state. So I'm just going to pretend like I don't have this problem. So it's actually incredibly courageous for me to sit down and say like, yeah, I, I didn't do this. Right. And like, that's like an incredibly healthy thing to do. So there's, there's a lot um, that, you know, people come up with, but they all come up with it on their own. Nobody tells them what to do. You pick for yourself what you think um, is going to help you. And uh, you know, like the, some of the guys will call you out if they're like, Hey, this doesn't seem right. You know, this isn't what you talked about, you know? And then you're like, Oh yeah. You know? Um, but it's, it's, it's self-directed in that sense. I, I was going to ask you, what does accountability look like? So it, it sounds like there's a, yeah. uh, like a, there's a people witnessing you making a commitment, but then what happens if you fall short one week or don't do it in the best right. way? Right. So at the start of every meeting, um, so the, the structure is we have a business round, which is just talking about whatever need we need to talk about. If, if people aren't coming to the meeting, if we need to move it, whatever business is. And then we have a, a, a meditation um, that's focused on the body, uh, somatic meditation. We, we have this thing called withholds. And a withhold is where you say to another man if they haven't honored an agreement, right? So there's times where maybe people show up late. Um, or people make a promise and they didn't keep a promise. You know, uh, one of the promises that, or one of the agreements that we make is to speak from our own experience and not to give advice. So you may in a meeting say, you know what, Larry, I, I felt angry when, you know, uh, you told me to do blank yesterday. Right. But I'm speaking from my experience. Right. So there's an accountability there in each person holding what's going on. And what's nice about that is, is that, if the, if the guy really did not honor it, that's present. Or if it's my junk that I'm putting on you, that shows up, right? So it's a really, it's a really uh, um, powerful thing there. What's an example of that? Um, where uh, <laughs> these are so hard to answer, Austin. <laughs> you know, these are like super hard because I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how to say stuff without like, giving away the um, confidentiality. So um, let me, uh, let me see if I could give you a, a good answer for that one. Um, yeah. Many times it's well, what's going on in my body at that moment when I say those things and what am I feeling? And usually if I, if I'm able to slow down and feel that, I'm able to find out if it's really about me or if it's really about them, right? 
So um, there's like circumstances where people will say stuff like, um, I was mad because you made this decision because I wasn't here. Right. But then they really later was like, well, I just really felt isolated and alone. And that's where I was coming from. And it really wasn't about you guys making a decision. Right. So, so it's kind of like, what's your baggage and how is that sort of churning underneath? So there's a level of accountability there. And then, um, we have what we call, uh, like we have three, three rounds and the first round check-in you talk about what's, what's, what do you feel in your body right now in this moment? What emotion you're feeling right now? And then what you, how did you do with your stretch? So you're reporting back every week saying, Hey, here's what I did or didn't do. And again, it's not like, you know, there's a like smiley face or sad face that people put on the wall. It's just you owning like, yeah, I did it. I didn't do it. And that is built into it. So, you know, you know that you have to answer for it one way or another, you know, and not in a bad way. It's just, just kind of how it's built in. Um, final question for you. Um, for uh, those men listening who, you know, they, they hear your story about men's group and they're interested in learning yeah. more. Yeah. Your curiosity has been peaked. Uh, any advice for them on how they should go about researching men's groups um, or learning more about them? Just, just go to my website, say hi. I'm more than happy to, to, to talk to all of them. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, stephencotev.com with a PH. Um, and, or, you know, go to everyman. It's E-V-R-Y-M-A-N.com. And they have a drop-in groups, which, it, you know, pr- everything COVID now is push it online so they can just try it out for themselves. Um, you know, that would be, I would just say, try it, you know, just, just go and, and just go and try and do it. Um, I'm very biased. You know, I, I, from what I've seen from other men's groups, I really liked our approach a lot. Um, and, and what I like the most is, is that there isn't stories and there isn't advice, you know, you're not in your head, you're in your body. And what I've learned as a coach and from conflict resolution, but also from nego- for negotiation is, is that there are people who are churning, they're thinking about things over and over again, they're gnashing their teeth, they're, 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 they're like just so deep in thought, you know, um, but they really don't get anywhere in that. You just sort of stay locked in the loop, churning it over and over again. Once you get out of that and get into your body and really experience your body, experience this moment, experience your emotions, stuff sort of pops up really quickly. It's, it's way more efficient. You're just like, oh, I'm super scared that this is going to happen. Or I feel like I need to, I feel, um, I feel like I needed to stand up to you right now. And I realize this has nothing to do with you. It has all to do with me. Right. So those, those insights just to me, make it a very different animal. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that would be what I would, that's what I would encourage folks. Great. Uh, yeah. Thanks for calling out your website. What are different ways, uh, clients can work with you? Yeah. So a lot of different ways. Um, my, my big passion right now is, is coaching leadership coaching. So, you know, working with me in that capacity, um, uh, you know, conflict wise, I've worked with, um, you know, it's like when people ask me about conflict, I just tell them like, I'm the guy you call when you hate your boss. 
So, <laughs> so if you've got a situation with the team, if you've got a situation that you're just trying to figure out for yourself, you know, you can call and talk to me and we can work that way either, you know, individually, um, with your, with the, with the group, that's fine. I do teaching and training as well. So I teach people a lot of the breath posture vision stuff. Um, I've also taught like people best practices stuff for the workplace, like how to give effective feedback. There's a whole list of stuff that I, I do. Um, and mostly I just try to find stuff that's valuable to people. So, you know, I, you know, I can do custom stuff, you know, so if they're like, Hey, we want to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's like, okay, help me understand like where you're coming from, what you need and we can work it out that way. So there's lots of different bits, but you know, if you're listening, um, you know, it's Stephen S T E P H E N. And then K is in King O is in Oscar T is in Thomas E is in echo V is in victory. K O T E V is the last name. And that's how you can uh, find me there because uh, I don't know what it is. Like I, I said, I don't know how you get by, but I'll tell people my name and they'll be like, what? And I'll just like, I'm just going to spell it for you. <laughs> Anyways, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes as well. So people yeah. can just click on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.